as I think of that picture of worthy, worthy is the Lord God Almighty. I think of this idea of all of heaven joins the universe, ever crying, worthy, worthy is your name. Church, I hope that that's our heart as we see this. I know that there are times when perhaps we've been really struggling over what is happening in our nation, in our state, in our own households, but there's still one who remains worthy of all praise, who's worthy above anything else that would happen. And as the last verse reminds us, there's gonna be a time where we will stand and sing forevermore. The glory and the praise belongs to Jesus Christ and we'll be united with him forever. So as we begin, let's pray and focus our hearts on that truth. Lord Jesus, I do pray for all of us today as we're here gathered again, Lord, apart from one another in our homes, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be enlivened by your spirit, that we would see the joy of knowing you, or that the circumstances and the things that we're still facing, and Lord willing, that you will remove from us shortly. Lord, that we would understand that you have been working this entire time through this. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are still holy. You are high and lifted up. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word today, that our hearts would be reminded of what you're calling us to, that we have been saved by your grace unto things that we would do for your honor and glory to proclaim that you are truly our Lord and Savior. Lord, I ask that for my own heart. Lord, I pray for clarity, focus. It's still hard for me, Lord, to be here apart from your people. Lord, I pray that our hearts all together would be reminded of your goodness and your grace. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Listen, this is our last sermon on Philippians. We're finally through the book of Philippians after today. And as Jasper mentioned, there's gonna be an opportunity for us to review the things that we have seen in this book. But I wanna remind us of kind of an overview and the circumstances in which Paul wrote the book of Philippians. Remember, he's in house arrest. He spent two years in this situation. I think of us feeling like we're in house arrest also for a month and a half. And here we are reading about a man who was in house arrest for two years, chained to guards, People able to come and see him, but not able to leave that circumstance. And he wrote a number of books to people to encourage them. And he, this is one of them. And the church in Philippi had been facing persecution. They'd been facing difficulty and hardship themselves. And in the midst of that, as, as Todd reminded us, is that they had a renewed focus on Paul and blessing him of hearing what's happening to him. They were focused outside of themselves and they sent a man named Epaphroditus who almost died in his service to Paul from that church. And we'll find out today that they also sent him some financial uh, help during that time. And that Paul says, thank you so much. And so Paul is thanking them over and over again for what is being done during this time. But he's not just thanking them. He's thanking God for how he's used them in their partnership with him in this. And if you remember, he's reminding them throughout this, this letter, he reminds them of Christ and all that we gain from seeing and pursuing the Lord Jesus. He reminds them to rejoice in him, to be content in him, to, to have the peace of God as well, to know that wisdom and discernment come from him, the humility comes from him, that they can have confidence in their faith and pursue those things which are eternal rewards. And so as he closes this letter, he's gonna revisit thoughts and ideas that he began the letter with. And I want us to make that connection because he's closing it purposefully. He's reminding them again that throughout this whole time, they joined him in partnering together. 
that Paul did not feel like he was alone, even though at times perhaps he was alone, and that they're not alone in their struggle, that all of us together are partners in this ministry that God is asking us to be a part of. And so let's read Philippians 4. I want to start at verse 10 and read through the end of the book. And he says this, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. But it's not that I seek the gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, their fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. So greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so as we've been studying Philippians, we have this mindset of the real gospel brings real joy. And there's a joy that we're going to look at together where we're partnering together. But the questions we have to answer is really what allows us or what is the evidence or the gain that we have of being partners together? How can you and I move forward through difficult times of perhaps as he's facing house arrest and persecution and difficulty? How can we do this together and why would we do this together? And Paul's reminding them of these things. So the first thing we see is that you and I are partners together and it's evidenced through this idea of mutual compassion. Mutual compassion for one another. Notice in verse 14, he says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And then later on, he says in verse 15, he says that no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now that word share my trouble and entered into partnership is exactly the same words that he used at the beginning in the opening of thanking God for them. And I want to show you this. In Philippians 1, 3 through 8, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. And then he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's exactly what he says here in verse 15. He says, in the beginning of the gospel, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. And he says it there again. He says, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says later on in verse seven, notice he says that I, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. He says, because you are all partakers with me of grace. And then he says, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Notice that goes along with the idea of sharing my trouble. They participated. They were partners with me in my imprisonment. Same idea of sharing my trouble is to have fellowship with them, to join them in it. 
And I think of how many times, even this time that we've been in quarantine, that people have joined with one another in sharing and encouraging one another. I think of the Zoom calls, the Zoom videos of small groups and, and other people connecting, that when we look at each other, that we understand that we are in this together. We're sharing this together. We're sharing our trouble. But it's also a partnership in giving and receiving is what he says the next part. So there's a mutual compassion that is felt for one another. And that's how he closes one eight with. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The reason why they're able to share in these things is because there's an affection that Christ Jesus has that flows out of us towards one another. And I love that he says that. Listen, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says this later on in Philippians 2. He says, listen, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or compassion, any sympathy that you have for one another, the reality as we remember as we spoke of that is that there is there. There is encouragement in Christ. There is participation in the Spirit. There is compassion and sympathy, affection and sympathy. Then he reminds us all to complete his joy by being in the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And this is evidenced by us not doing anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Don't look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's that idea of sharing, of partnering with one another. It's a compassion that you have. You see that person in need because mutual compassion is is evidence of a heart that's transformed by grace. It's shown. And this is what the Bible says elsewhere. I think of 1 John 3.16, not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 through 18. He says, by this we know love. This is what it looks like, that he laid down his life. Jesus laid down his life for us. And so we ought to follow that example and lay down our lives for the brothers. And then he gives an example. He says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, He sees it, recognizes it's a true need, yet he closes his heart against him. In other words, he he stops compassion for that person. He says, how does God's love abide in him? He says, little children, we can't love in word and talk only. We have to love in deed and truth. And James says something similar to this. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you looks at that, and simply says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. The question he asks is, if you don't care for that person, what good is that? You don't do anything to give them the things that they need. What good is that? Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Compassion is an action. It's not just feeling the compassion, being like, man, I wish someone would help. If you have the means to help, you help them. And I think of many times I'm tempted not to think this way, especially now. I'm really focused on caring for my family and protecting my family and perhaps not having any mindset of because I have too many things around myself that I need to worry about. And maybe that's you as well. Maybe you're wondering, yeah, I don't, I don't even think this way. How would I even start this way? As I think of as Paul focuses our hearts throughout the book of Philippians, I remind you, be reminded of the Lord Jesus. He gives us the power to do this. If there is encouragement in Christ, which there is, if there's a participation in the Spirit, which there is, then there will be affection and sympathy for one another. 
He's the one who moves us to do this. It is a heart and mind that recognizes also what God has done. Remember what he said, this is how we know what love is. He loved us and gave his life for us. It's not just a manifestation of a conviction of wanting a better reputation. I wanna give because I want people to think better of me or because I feel like I have to. No, it's a heart that recognizes I have been given, I have received so much, therefore I am willing to give over and over. And I think of Christ's compassion being the motivation of loving compassion. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, if you would sum up the whole character of Christ in reference to ourselves, so how Christ relates to us, he says it might be gathered into this one sentence, he was moved with compassion. As you and I recognize that Christ himself came here, lived among us and was moved with compassion, that we would recognize that that compassion for us is to be lived out in compassion for other people. And he takes this quote from Matthew 9. Notice he says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But he's not just proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's also healing every disease and every affliction. Because when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And this is often stated, when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion. And so Spurgeon notices that and says, that's probably a good way for us to summarize Christ's relationship to us. That when he sees us, he was moved with compassion. Think of John 3, 16. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. And so in receiving him, we're able to give that same way out of the overflow to those in need. And then I think of the next part of Matthew 9. And, and this is a part that I did not see a connection here because I heard this in separation to it. Look at it. It says, then he said to his disciples, after he was moved with compassion, he said, listen, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. How does that connect? Jesus is moved with so much compassion for the needs of the people that he's asking us to pray to the Lord of the harvest, the one who wants to gather people to himself, to send people there with the same message and the same compassion for those people, that we would declare the gospel of the kingdom, that we would desire to meet the needs. We might not be able to do it the same exact way that Jesus does, but the focus is that our heart is moved with compassion and so the gospel goes forward and the compassion moves forward. And that's how you and I would participate in the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. Church, I have to ask this question. Have we been focused on the harvest right around us? Have we been focused on the people that God has placed right next door, maybe down the street from us? Have we been hearing needs of people and moving with compassion to help and to support them? And I also ask this question, where, maybe you need to reflect on, and I had to reflect on this, where have I experienced the compassion of Christ from God's people? I was reminded back in Louisville, Kentucky, our first five years of marriage, my wife and I lived there and we had various circumstances. We lived in a one bedroom apartment. Then we had our first daughter, Nora. We had to move out of that apartment and we were connected to a church there by God's grace where they invited us into their life like family. In fact, the first four Sundays, I think it was, uh, when we were there, we didn't even have to worry about lunch. People offered to take us out for lunch every single week. We were kind of shocked the first time when we had to go home and actually make our own lunch. We we're like, well, this isn't normal. 
I thought more people were going to ask us. But there was a family in particular, the Milbys, where after we had to leave the, the seminary housing because we had our child, they let us live above their garage for a couple months as we were in process of finding a place to live. And they treated us like their own kids. And that was hard for me because it, it's kind of a knock to your pride when you have to live with someone you can't support yourself. And I think that, that that was a temptation of me and a test to my pride. But I remember Gary, Gary Milby said to me, he says, listen, I remember being in that same situation myself. I went to seminary, I had these needs and I was blessed by people myself in this way. He says, and you're gonna grow up and you're gonna meet people who have the same needs. Be willing to meet their needs in the same way. Remember that. People will be in the same situation that you are in and you will have the means of blessing them. So see it and bless them. And that stuck, stuck with me for, stood, stayed with me for quite some time, still now. And I think of what Paul reminds us there about this idea of you entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. And there's two extremes here in this idea. I think of those people who are only focused on receiving. In other words, they potentially might be lazy. They think that others should do everything for them. And this is really self-centeredness. I have to be honest, this is really a childish view. When I go to breakfast in the morning, my kids sit down at the table and expect me to get the bowl, the spoon, the cup, the cereal, the milk, everything for them. They know exactly where it is. And I usually say to them, you know where it is. Go get it yourself. Because there's an expectation where everybody just does everything for you. And that's self-centeredness. That's lazy. That's one extreme. But the other extreme is just as bad. Is that you're not wanting anybody to ever help you. This is arrogance. This is self-sufficiency. This is an idea of, oh, well, I can take care of myself by myself. No, 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 I don't need your help. Let me remind us, this is a hindrance of grace. Paul says that we enter into partnership of giving and receiving. And I challenge you, some of you perhaps have not spoken your needs during this time. And maybe it's not financial. Maybe it has nothing to do with finances. You're doing fine financially. That's not the only need that we all have. I think of spiritual needs that we have, encouragement we need, that there's counsel we need, accountability that we need. And I think of the grace that God says is given to those who are humble. And even the words of Bill Withers in, in Lean On Me. This is what he says. Let me find it, right here. He says, please, swallow your pride. And if I have things that you need to borrow, for no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. I love that. Swallow your pride if I have things that you need. Just borrow them. If you need to borrow them, I'll give them to you. Because no one can fill those needs that you won't let show, that you won't tell other people. And then he reminds them. He says, lean on me when you're not strong. And I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. That's the idea of mutual care for one another. I'm not gonna have everything supplied to me and I'm gonna need your help during a time. And so there's seasons of giving and receiving. We're constantly balancing this idea of giving and receiving constantly. So let me remind us as we move into this that we're never above the need to receive. We're never too high, too prideful to receive. We need to learn to receive, but we're also never below the need to give. We need to be focused on using anything that we have for the benefit of other people. And I think of this time. 
Let me just share that I've been really encouraged by the various testimonies of people over this entire time of being in quarantine that we have many reasons to rejoice in how you, Summit, have been blessing other people. I think of last week, just the response, overwhelming response of your financial giving to Jasper asking, hey, there's people in need. We need to be mindful of that and give. And you guys have done that, so thank you. I think of the ice cream left on the porch that apparently was eaten only by one person. Hashtag Corey Kent. I think of a date night kit that was given for Callie and I. I think of the cards that the kids' ministry volunteers left for us in the mail and that my kids got to read and were blessed by sending them to the families of our church. I think of these past week and a half, my, my kids had two birthdays, Venna and, and Amos, and our neighbors made a cake for them, for Venna, brought it over, and then got cupcakes for Amos and brought them over to him. I look at that and I go, that's amazing. The fact that we are able to bless one another. And I look at that and I think, that's because there's a connection with other people. Let me ask this, are you connected with people? Is there a relationship of giving and receiving with people in the church? Or do you know nobody in the church? Have you been distanced from people in the church? Because the reality is, is that God is calling us in this passage, a reminder that we need to be connected to the body of Christ. Because there are seasons like we're facing now where we are definitely going to be needing encouragement, help, finances, whatever it is, from one another. And it's a reminder to all of us that we need the help and the connection of partnering together with one another. But it's not just compassion. I think in the next point he really makes is that there's this mutual benefit for those who give and receive, who are partners together in gospel ministry. Notice he says in verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift. What I seek is the fruit that increases to your credit. He says, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is making very clear in this passage that he's not focused on the financial benefit of gospel ministry. He says, I'm not seeking the gift. What he actually is more interested in is their benefit. Yes, he was benefited, but he says, I'm actually seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. Every time we read about fruit in the Bible, it is evidence of connectivity to Christ. We have to read it that way. He said this in Philippians 1. He says that you're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Think of John 15 where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Why? Because he is the vine. We are the branches. We can't bear fruit apart from Christ. And he says, listen, as you give, there's actually a fruit that increases to your credit. And then he terms it and says that it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And this is the idea of using the world's goods as a means of gaining eternal rewards. It's storing up treasures in heaven, not here. These are so fleeting. Paul writes in Acts 20 and reminds the Ephesian elders of how he lived among them. And this is what he says. He says, listen, I coveted no one's silver or their gold or apparel. He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine, they ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. He says, I, I showed you in all things that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak, those people who can't do these things. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
So it's not that you don't receive, but there's a blessing in being able to give, that there's a focus of giving and understanding that you're actually receiving back from God a blessing in doing that. And this is a reminder to us that we are called to see that which is lasting, that these things of the world, our, our possessions, our, our money, whatever it is, is not for us to hoard to ourselves, to give to ourselves, to receive unto ourselves. And Paul reminds us of this idea of contentment. Remember in Philippians 4, he says, listen, I'm not speaking of being in need. I have learned to be content in every situation because God is the one who strengthens me. In Philippians 3, he reminds us again that he's willing to suffer the loss of all things. If that's what it means, that I have to suffer the loss of these things, that I may gain Christ, I would richly and, and do that on, in a heartbeat. I would, I would focus immediately all of my attention on gaining Christ rather than having these things because that's more valuable. I think of the charge in Hebrews 10 where he writes to a church who's faced great persecution. And he says, listen, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you came to Christ, you understood him. He says, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners. Again, that same word of sharing with them, with those who were so treated. And then he says this, you had compassion on those in prison. Again, that idea of mutual compassion. He says, listen, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why? Because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. There was a benefit that they had, that they were focused on, that there was a benefit of giving and being a partner with the people in prison. And they were associating with them, knowing that it was gonna affect them by losing their property. But why would they do this? And they didn't just do it, they joyfully accepted this because they knew that the benefit of participating in this way was far better, far better than what they had to give up now. There was an abiding possession that they had. And so I think of all of this, in him saying this, is that you and I are to focus a, a proper value level of our finances and possessions. Where is it? Are possessions higher than the value of those things that are eternal? Are we not willing to give? We're wanting to keep them? Because when this value lowers, then the value of those things that are eternal rises higher. And therefore, we can use this for the benefit of other people, not being focused as little gods of ours that we worship, that we need. He says, no, these things that are yours in eternity and forever those things are abiding. Those are the things that become more valuable. Those things last. And I think of that, again, this idea of fruit that increases to your credit. And he terms it as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This is a reminder as I read this, that God sees every gift. Perhaps you think, well, I'm not very wealthy. I don't really have much to give. It's not about the amount of your gift. It is the fact that your heart is moved in, in, in obedience to give. And some of it isn't even financial giving. Perhaps it's a word of encouragement. I think of the letters that were written to the kids. There was no money attached to that. My kids didn't open it up and go, where's the money? They opened it up and we read to them and we said, hey, you remember so-and-so, one of your leaders, one of the volunteers in your class. They wrote you a letter and they smiled and they loved it. I think of that as a way of giving. God sees that. That's a fragrant offering that is pleasing to God. That's so encouraging to my heart. 
So be reminded of that. That's also an act of giving, an act of sacrifice. And notice the next thing in verse 19, that God responds to that which pleases him. God responds. He says in verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So not only does God see every gift, but he responds to those gifts by supplying need. Now, as I read that verse, I'm like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing promise. But what, what is the point of God supplying our needs? And how does God supply our needs? Well, thankfully, this isn't the only passage of Scripture that deals with this topic. Think of it, all churches all over the place deal with the reality of finances and how to utilize them. And so you've got in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes about this. And this is right after he makes the statement that God loves a cheerful giver, which I've heard that so many times. God loves a cheerful giver. But this is what he says after that. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, it sounds like he just said in verse 19 that God will supply every need of yours. Here he says, you have all sufficiency in all things at all times. And then he says that you may abound in every good work. So you see the point of God supplying our needs is that we would abound in every good work. And then he says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And then he goes on and he says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And here's the second reason why, to increase the harvest of your righteousness. And then he says, you will be enriched in every way. Why? What's the point of it? To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So we see the point of God supplying our needs is abounding in every good work to increase the harvest of your righteousness, to be generous in every way. It's not a selfishness. When I think of this, I think, boy, God is going to supply every need of mine. That's going to be awesome. I'm going to be financially blessed. I'm going to be able to have so many things myself. He says, listen, the reason why I would give you anything is so that you would use them for the benefit of other people, to abound in every good work, that you would increase the harvest of your righteousness, not of your bank account, and that you would be generous in every way. That's why he would enrich you in every way. And notice it says that that will produce thanksgiving to God, to God. But then the next question is, how does God supply our needs? And notice what Paul then continues in the next verse. He says, for the ministry of this service. What service? The service that he's asking Corinth to join him in and caring for the needs of other people. He says, this ministry is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So how does he supply the need? He supplies the need through God's people. He's supplying the needs of the saints. He says, but it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but they are being met that way. But it's also overflowing. The need of us is to recognize that God is the one who receives the thanks. If you're giving to people, wanting thanksgiving to come to you, that's not the focus of giving. Both times, he says, it produces thanksgiving to God. It overflows in many thanksgiving to God because God is the one who gives to us. We simply receive because, again, he is the one who freely distributes to people as he chooses. And I think of our hearts need to be reminded that God giving us richly is so that we would be able to give richly. 
And again, the focus being on God and not us is exactly what he says in Philippians 4, verse 20, the next part. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. So as you receive, as you are given and enriched, your heart is meant to glory in God, in what he's done for you. And as you recognize that, you're free to give so that other people would glory in thanksgiving to the Lord for what he's done for them. The final thing we see here is this idea of mutual love. As he closes his letter, he has, always has a, some sort of greeting or typically has a greeting. Notice he says here, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And then he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I love that he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. I think of as he's talking about partnering together, he's not just talking to the, to the church in Philippi, he's reminding them that there are saints all over the place. For us to be reminded that there are saints all over the world who are experiencing things just like we are and some worse circumstances than us. He says, be mindful when you hear these things. Be mindful to be compassionate, to remember that your partner's even with them when you hear of their needs, it's not just the needs of here in your church. Remember, the Philippian church is writing and sending stuff to Paul all the way in Rome. And they hadn't, as, as Todd mentioned last week, they hadn't done this in 10 years. That Paul, Paul didn't know anything really of them for 10 years. And so as they're reminded and they hear of Paul's need, even though he's not there with them, he's not in Philippi, they send to him their need. And so he writes and he says, listen, the brothers who are with me greet you. They've been blessed by your giving and your care for me. And they send their greeting, their love. You're partnering with them as well. He says, and all the saints greet you. I think of that testimony that the things that we do, sometimes in ways that we don't even recognize, reach out to people in greater numbers than we can even imagine. And God is able to do that in ways that we can't fathom, even, even perhaps a message like this or a devotional or a letter, the testimony of people go, man, I was really blessed by Summit Church. Where, who is that? Oh, they're in West Olive, Michigan. Wow. And they, you might never even know that these things are being spoken. And I think of the richness of testifying to the grace and the love of other people and other churches and other saints that we would not be mindful simply of what's happening here with us. And I think of even the various ministries of the gospel. Notice he says, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul's in house arrest. And he's chained to people. And Caesar's household itself is being taught the gospel and are being saved by the message of Paul and maybe even utilizing the testimony of the Philippian church and Epaphroditus being there and seeing, wow, this guy came from Philippi? This guy came, look at him, he's sacrificing so much for you. Man, they, there's a lot of love between these people. What's going on? And the interest that they have is a testimony to these people that he's around in Caesar's household and they're saved. And so Paul says, listen, even the people who are here with me, they're now saved, they're transformed by the grace of God. They even give their greeting to you. I love that. That the gospel would be declared is really the purpose of us partnering together. That people would recognize that there's a love between us that there's a compassion, that we're benefiting one another through this whole time, and that that's our focus. And notice it is fueled by the last verse 
of the letter. He says, it is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is with our spirit. He focuses them lastly on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that is always the thing that fuels all of us for this work. We are going to do nothing apart from the grace of God. It's by the grace of God, Paul says, that I am what I am. He says, but his, his grace toward me was not without effect. It, it didn't accomplish nothing. It actually accomplished a lot. He says, I toil and I labor harder than all of them, but it's never myself. It is the grace of God within me. So you and I need to be focused, even during this time, that God's grace is not absent from us. His love with his people are with us. People love one another and we love you during this time. And we're trying to point you to the grace of God and to the gospel so that you would have joy during this time, that there would be contentment during this time. But church, I have to be reminded, we're excited about the opportunity for us to be together soon. We pray to that end. We ask the Lord to bring it quickly. And as we've looked at Philippians, I hope that your heart has been enlivened. And so I wanna pray and ask God to just remind us of the richness of all the things that he's taught us through this book. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I do ask that you would help us to see the fact that you are a good savior to us. Lord, I'm reminded of the fact of what Paul writes about you in Philippians 2, that you did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you humbled yourself. You became a servant and you came, became a servant unto death, even death on a cross. And then I think of the benefit that you had and gained by your resurrection and that now you are seated in a place that has the highest name that can be named. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for all that you give to us. Father, I thank you that you sent your son for us, that you love us. Lord, I pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to the fact that there are people around us always that need to understand this truth. Lord, may we be mindful of that and understand that always and through everything, your grace is with us. We can do nothing apart from you. We love you. Amen. Yeah, grateful for that word. Are you ready to worship and respond? Lord, help us to build a life upon the love that you have shed abroad in our hearts. Let's worship. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Holy, there is no one like you There is none beside you Open up Heart and lead me in your love.
just reflected on the holiness of God, that there's no one like him. He says, there's no one beside you. And so open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our prayer that we would see the holiness of God and open up our eyes in wonder that this holy God would actually move in love towards us and call us to himself. And then as it goes on, it says, and fill me with your heart as I understand the things that you care about me in, that then I would have a heart that's open with love to those who are around me. We do pray for you guys that our eyes, all of our eyes would be open to the needs of the people around us. And as we just explored, that's exactly what we're doing. We're called to do. And listen, we're still gonna be apart from one another for a little bit longer. It's almost over. Look forward to seeing you guys through Facebook and different ways to connect throughout this week. But again, be mindful of the ways outside of that that you can reach out in love to those who are around you. And church, if you need anything, let us know. And remember, as always, you are loved.